Listen, I just, um, I've been so thankful during this series that we've been watching these different stories of people from our church and seeing kind of what God is doing in their life on all these different core values that we've been discussing. And um, it's so encouraging to me to know that this is one segment of many people within this church who are having the same kind of experience through a small group of some kind. Um, that is so encouraging to me. Just yesterday, um, I went to North Carolina with uh, my family and another friend of our family's, just their family, and we've been doing this for four years now. Four years, every year, we've been going to go pick apples up in North Carolina at Skytop Orchard. Anybody picked any apples this fall? Bucketless people, come on. So we, um, we traveled up yesterday, and um, the goal every year is to go up. We get great barbecue at this place called Hubba Hubba Barbecue. Anybody ever been there? Thank you, too. Okay, so excellent. We got up there. Then we went to Sky Top, and we were going to pick apples. Unbeknownst to us, all the apples had already been picked, so that was great. So there was no apples to be had necessarily, but they did have donuts and slushies, so I was totally good. So we, uh, we got there, and we, for the fourth year in a row now, it's always like the same spot that we go, and we take pictures with the family, and it's cool. We, we started looking back at the past four years, and there was like one child, and then four children and so forth. And there's all these kids now. We go 10 more years, like 30 kids everywhere. And it's just been so awesome to look back over the past four years, this intentional thing that we've done every year to go and spend time in the mountains, go pick apples and spend time with each other. And um, even though no apples we picked, we had a wonderful time just spending time with each other and hanging out. And my son, Eli, was a little bummed because we didn't get to pick apples. And the apples that they have up at the store, you know, they're kind of expensive. We can get them at Barlow. So we came back and we just got the donuts and that was fine. But he, he loves apples. And he used to have two front teeth. And when he did, he would eat apples all the time. Like a beaver, just go at it. And by the time he got to the end of the apple, all he had left was the core, right? You throw that piece away, who cares about the core? All the outside's the good stuff. But truth be told, when it comes to an apple, like the, the purpose of apple, the meaning of the apple is found in its core. It's not found on the outside. It's found in its core where the seeds are. Because the only job that an apple has is to create more apple trees that would then in turn create more apples. That's all it's supposed to do. You know, being at Mount Horror for the past 12 years, I have, I have loved this church, and I've loved every year that I've spent here and all the time that I've spent here, and I've, I've loved everything from this campus that God has given us to enjoy and experience. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. I, I, love, I love upward basketball. It's been a great thing for our church. It's been fun. It's been awesome. I love Chi Alpha. Every year, the high school students come together and experience God. I love VBS. I love inspiring worship. I love live stream. I love Steak on the Lake. I love the fall festival that we're going to have in November. I love all of these things, but, but truth be told, these are all the outside of Mount Horeb. This is, all the, this is all the tasty good stuff of Mount Horeb, you know? This is all the fun stuff, but the, but the truth be told, this stuff takes place because there's a core of who we are that's the most important, the most meaningful. And we've been looking back over the past few weeks, and we'll continue to look ahead to these core values that we believe as a church. We've prayed through and said, this is what it means to be a part of Mount Horeb. Not just when you come and you sit in a pew on a Sunday morning or a chair on Sunday morning, but when you come and then you leave and it spills out of you throughout the rest of the week. Because these core values, these things we're talking about are not just what it means to be a part of Mount Horeb. In essence, it's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. These are things that we do and these are ways that we live just because we love him. It's where our meaning and our purpose comes from. It's where, our, this is in fact our only job to go and make other disciples to make other people who would follow and put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ. And so these core values we've been talking about for the past few weeks, we've said that Jesus first, Jesus always is a value of ours. Above and beyond is a value of ours. People matter. On earth as in heaven, truth is essential. 
Participation over observation, and today I have the privilege of talking about another core value, which is we believe as a church that we are better together. We believe that somehow when we come together, we are better. There's more that can be accomplished together than apart. You know, the truth be told, there's just some things that are better together. You know what I mean? Who, who loves Oreos? Let me rephrase that. Who loves double-stuffed Oreos? Who loves milk? Oreos and milk, they're like magic, you know, when you put the two together. Both individually wonderful. When you put them together, it's something new altogether. Like movies and popcorn, you know? There are people I know that are like, oh, they'll tolerate a movie. But you give them buttered popcorn, it's like the best experience ever. Movies and popcorn. Peanut butter and jelly. Anybody trying to live their freshman year of college again? Peanut butter and jelly? You can't beat a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Just put it together. Batman and Robin. Peas and carrots. Beaches and sunsets. Bacon and anything. There are just some things in life that, that are just better together. And as true as it is in the mundane of life and just the normal, normalcy of life, I believe this, this core value is true, maybe most true when it comes to our relationships with other people, when it comes to how we communicate and connect with other people within the church and within Christian fellowship for sure. I believe that we are better together. You know, if we're honest, if you were to think back to some of your favorite memories, some of your favorite times in your life, just let your mind go there for a second. One thing that you just you think back to and you love, I would venture to say that the reason you think back to that experience and love that experience is not because of the things that you did, but because of the people that you were with. Almost every experience that I've enjoyed, it's not because my wife and I did a certain thing or went to a certain place. It was because of the people that we got to experience that thing with that made it truly valuable. Over the past couple of years, one of my favorite memories that I have with my family is, um, is a trip that we took to a 60-acre plot of land out by Greenwood, South Carolina. My grandfather um, sold my wife and I a, a scamp camper. It's the little egg right there, the little fiberglass egg. And we bought it from him, and then we remodeled the whole thing. Thanks to my wife, it's all painted and beautiful and Pinteresty and wonderful. And it's only 16 feet. It's very, very small. When you put four people in it, you feel how small it is. And so we drove this thing out with another camper and, and some fr family friends of ours, and we were out there for just two days overnight. And I'm going to tell you the truth. It was, it was 150 degrees in Greenwood, South Carolina that day, and that night, if you can believe it. And there were bugs everywhere, and it was very dirty, and it was extremely uncomfortable. But when I think back to that time together, it is, it is one of my favorite memories that I've had over the past couple years. And not just because of the bugs and the heat and all those things, but because of the people they got to experience that with. Let me show you a quick picture also of, of our kids, some of them, just having fun, ruffles in hand, man, just enjoying the day. But there's something about experiences like this. The experience itself is wonderful for sure, but, but to do it with people that you love and that you care about, that you've led into your life, it becomes something completely different altogether. You know, there is something inside of us, I believe, that knows that a shared life unlocks a full life. A shared life unlocks a full life. And here's how I know this is true. If nothing else, I know it's true because of the social media hysteria that we're all going through at this point in time. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I know if we're honest, many, probably most people in this room have a Facebook of some kind and probably check it regularly just to make sure you're up on things that are happening in the community. So it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's Snapchat, or any other kind of social media outlet. We, we love to feel like we're a part of something. We love to know that people maybe know us, even if it's just digitally. 
They know what's happening within our life. And I think if we're honest, in the end, in our core, we deeply want to be known by people. We, we deeply want to know and we want to be known. And the reason I know this is true is because I believe this has been hardwired inside of us. You can't help it. If you're human, this is a desire that you have within your life, to know people and to be known. If you look back at the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, when God created all that we know and all that we see, the Bible says that after each day that God created, he said, it is what? Good. It is good. And he creates again. He says, it is good. It is good. And eventually, as he creates the pinnacle of his creation, human beings, he looks at what he's made and he says, it is very good. Very good. What strikes me as odd, though, is almost immediately following in this story in Genesis, God looks at what he's created and he sees Adam on his own. And he says, it is not good that man should be alone. And the Bible says then God makes Eve to be a companion to him. And here's what blows my mind. Adam had a relationship with God already, but there was something about having a companion, something about having someone else that you could look in the eyes with and spend time with and converse with. And God said, it is not good that man would be alone. Because I believe hardwired inside of us, the very core of who we are, the way God has made us is to connect with other people, to be known by other people, to be in a relationship with other people. You know, in the Gospel of John, we read earlier in John chapter 17, Jesus is, is praying at this point in time, and it's literally hours and days before he's going to be arrested, put on trial, and eventually he's going to be crucified. And we see him in John chapter 17, and he's, he's praying, and there are all things certainly that Jesus could be praying about at this point in time. Praying for protection, praying for deliverance, praying for, for whatever. But here's what Jesus prays in John chapter 17. We read it earlier. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about the disciples and those who put their, their faith and their trust in him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be what? One. They all might be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Of all of the things that Jesus could possibly pray at the end of his life, here's what he chooses to pray for. He chooses to pray for the disciples. And he chooses to pray for those who would trust in him because of their message. Guess who that is? You and me. And Jesus' prayer is that they would be one, that they would be united, that they would be one. And not only that, but he gives us the example of what it looks like to be one because Jesus says, let them be one as you, Father, you and I are one. As I am in you and you are in me, may they be in us. What Jesus is talking about is a Trinitarian relationship. There's probably a, a nice Bible word that you've known since you've grown up in church if you have, and that word is the word Trinity. This word Trinity does not necessarily within itself show up within Scripture anywhere, but the concept of the Trinity shows up all throughout Scripture. As we read the Bible, we find out that God himself is not just one, but he is actually many. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And somehow, mysteriously, God is not just one, but he's many. Eternity past, on into eternity future, God himself has existed with an ever-giving, ever-relationship ever-receiving relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Perfect relationship, the Trinity. And Jesus says, this is the blueprint for us 
as we look at what it looks like to have a relationship and to be in friendship and be in community the way God has intended us to be. This is why I believe that we are better together. Because God first believed that it was good to be better together. Because God intended it that way. Because God has wired you that way. And he's given us a blueprint for how we should connect. To be in a relationship that is ever giving and also ever receiving. The closest I've come to this kind of relationship is in my marriage with my wife, Jenna. And I don't know about you, when I was getting ready to get married, I got all kinds of advice. Anybody? Some from people in this room. All kinds of advice. And, and one of the pieces of advice that we got often was like, hey, listen, when you get married, you got to understand something. It is 50-50. It's 50 You know what I found out when I got married? It is not 50-50. And Jenna would be the first to tell you that. It, the, a marriage relationship is not about going this far, halfway, so that you can meet me halfway. In fact, if we're going to take the cues from the Bible, if we're going to take the blueprint that Christ lays out for us, it's actually 100-100. It's, it's me always trying to outdo her in the way that I give to her, in the way that I receive from her, and her doing the exact same thing. It's a competition. 100-100. I would love to tell you that we do this perfectly always, and Jenna would be the first to tell you we do not. We certainly try hard. But this is the goal for us, but we cannot do this without the help of the Holy Spirit, of the help of God living and dwelling inside of us. By our very nature, we're not going to go 100 and 100. <laughs> but it's certainly the blueprint that's been given to us to have this kind of oneness, this kind of unity that God has laid out for us. Here's what I believe with all of my heart. There is, there is real power, true power in real, authentic Christian community. There's something that takes place when a group of people really care for one another and relate to one another and commune with one another the way God has intended for us. And here's one of the reasons I believe that we are better together, and it's two simple words. It's the power of me too. Me too. Now, as you walked in this morning, you should have hopefully received a, a white index card. If you didn't, find something near you you can write on really quick. In your pews, there's a, probably a pen or a pencil that you can grab, and I want you to do something very simple for me. On that card, I just want you to write these two words, me, too. I'm not going to check spelling, so just do your best. Me, too. And as you write that on your, your index card or your piece of paper, whatever it might be, I'm going I'm to ask you to do something. If you can, I'm going to ask you to stand if you have ever been dumped or broken up with in your life. Come on, I'm standing too. Some honesty in the room, good. Now, I want you to look around the room. Take your card or your piece of paper, hand it to someone and say, hey, me too. <laughs> me too. Give it to somebody. There you go. All right, now have a seat. Now I'm going to ask you to stand. If any time in your life you've ever had a bill that you thought, I don't know how I'm going to pay this. Stand up. All right. Look around you. Turn to someone and hand them your card and say, hey, me too. Me too. Have a seat. I'm going to ask you to stand if at any point in your life you've ever lost someone that you loved, someone that you cared for. You stand. Look around this room. Take your card and hand it to someone and say, hey, me too. Me too. 
Have a seat. And lastly, I don't want to wear your legs out too much. I'm going to ask you to stand if, if you or anyone within your circle of friendship or family has ever um, experienced cancer of any kind, would you just stand? Look around. Pass your card to someone and say, hey, me too. Me too. And have a seat. A few years ago, uh, some friends and I went to Charlotte to go to this conference. And at this conference, we saw a pastor do this very thing in a room much larger than this with a lot more people. And he, this pastor said, when we prepared this, we thought to ourselves, when we do this, and people stand up, people are just going to be weeping. Just being like, oh, you know, I, I can relate to you and hand these cards. And he said, actually, the exact opposite took place, like I've seen this morning, every service. When I ask you to stand up if you've ever been dumped before, everybody stands up like, oh, me too, and start handing cards and laughing. And there, there's something amazing and powerful that takes place when there's a group of people who are willing to be honest with one another, and they can look at each other in the eye and say, hey, listen, I know what you're going through. Me too. I know how you feel. I know what it's like to hurt like that, because I've done it myself. There's real power in that kind of community, that kind of relationship, where you know you're not alone. I believe one of the most dangerous places as a Christian to be these days is to convince yourself that you're the only one who's struggling with the things that you're struggling with, whatever it might be. I'm the only one who's going through this. See, here's what happens when we get honest with one another and we live in this kind of community. We find out we're not the only one going through this. In fact, there are many others, and there are some who have made it through. And it gives me hope for the situation I find myself in. Just a couple of years ago, a good friend of mine was in a car accident. And in this car accident, he lost one of his legs. And so the very next day, as he was beginning to recover from this surgery and everything, there were a lot of friends and family who had come to the room and were consoling him and encouraging him. And um, there was one person that came to his room that was from our church, and a man named Pastor Ed McDowell. And Ed walked into the room, and he sat down next to this boy's bed, and he pulled up one of his pant legs and showed his prosthetic leg. He was able to say to this boy, hey, listen, I know how you feel. Me too. And you can make it. You can make it. And what kind of strength can come when we live this kind of life in these kinds of communities? You see, the reason I think Jesus was praying this in John chapter 17 is because he knew that we would face things that we couldn't face alone. He knew there would be struggles and challenges that we couldn't do by ourselves. And so here's what he prays for. Unity. He prays for oneness. He prays for community. Because he knew there would be other people who needed to know that someone else was struggling with an addiction. That someone else had a wayward son or daughter. That someone else was covering from a, recovering from a loss of some kind and someone else had doubts like they do. And someone else was struggling with debt like they are. It brings power and it brings courage to live this kind of life. And Jesus knew this. So here's what he prays for. May they be one as you and I are one. I think one of the greatest examples we get of this kind of living actually comes from the early church in Acts chapter two. You know, contextually what's going on here at this point in time is Jesus has just died. He's risen from the dead, he's ascended into heaven. At this point in time now, this, this struggling group of people who call themselves Jesus followers are trying to make this thing work without their leader. So they're coming together in these groups of people and they're, they're, they're relying on one another like they never have before. 
Because there's persecution at this point in time. People are being imprisoned and killed for their faith. They just lost their leader. How do they go forward like this? So they would come together in groups. And the Bible describes so beautifully the way they met together and the way they made it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47 says this. These people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with what? Glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's how the early church did it. And it's actually really, really simple. They got together and they ate meals. Anybody? I could do that. They got together, they, they prayed with one another. They gathered together, they, they read scripture, they, they were taught by the apostles together. They spent time with one another. Here's what I think is God's greatest desire for that early church and for us as well. His desire was for the world to see this kingdom of God movement was not just a flash in the pan to be gone tomorrow, but to see that these people would come together and demonstrate what it looked like to really truly love one another as been, de- as been demonstrated by God himself. And what I love about this is what takes place because of the, the way they lived. It says in the very end, it resulted in the salvation of many souls. Many people who put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus because of the way they loved one another. I don't know if you realize this yet, but because of that struggling beginning, those few people who gathered together, it's the very reason we're sitting here today on a Sunday morning at Mount Horby United Methodist Church in Lexington, South Carolina. The movement didn't stop. In fact, it continues on today. We have the same goal as they had. And here's what I know for sure. In this room, probably almost all of us have some kind of friendship or relationship that already exists. Maybe some of you yesterday, you tailgated or cooked at home for the game and you didn't invite me. But other people were there and that's wonderful. I know we're already doing this stuff. We're spending time with one another. My question is, what if we began to do it with intention and with purpose the way the early church did? Because they realized, hey, listen, if we don't do this together, we don't make it. We don't make it through. What if we as the church had the same kind of urgency, realizing that our faith in Jesus is stronger when we do it with others? We can make it through things we never thought we could make it through if we do it with others. And this kind of intentional life with each other, this kind of purposeful life with one another is the breeding ground for for God moments and real true life transformation. It's where it takes place and it's where it happens. Here's how I know. It's happened in my life, and I've seen it happen in countless others. So here's what I'm saying. Today, go home and throw a party. Invite me and other people, and when you get together, I want you to talk about Jesus. Make him a parent. Go hunting and bring your buddy with you, but while you're there, talk about Jesus. Women, go shopping. You're welcome. But while you do it, talk about Jesus. What if we just lived our lives the way we are already living our lives, but we did it with more intention and with more purpose, realizing we've already got time with one another? What if we used it to the fullest? 
because a shared life is a full life. This church has done an amazing job over the past few years from leadership, of course, from Pastor Nick, who's helped us with this one life kind of small group uh, approach that we have at our church. It's been amazing to see the things that have taken place through this. And within this one life curriculum, there there are three main core practices that Nick introduces to us over and over and over again. And they're so applicable to us that I want to mention them this morning. This is what it looks like to live in, I think, Christian community, authentic Christian community. First and foremost, as Nick would say, we, we push one another forward. We choose to push one another forward. We enter into these relationships with the kind of mentality that we're willing to allow other people to speak into our life. And we will take on the mantle to do the same in someone else's life. When we push one another forward, it means that, that oftentimes we want more for someone else than they even want for themselves. That we see the God potential within them, maybe before they see the God potential within them. And we come to realize that God has a life for us, that he wants us to live. And the truth is, it's being willing to say the hard thing when sometimes the hard thing is really hard to say. After I graduated from college, I was living here in Lexington in a house with a couple other guys, and um, I had really good friendships. But to be honest with you, I had developed this life that was really multifaceted. I wasn't the same person always. And there's parts of my life that didn't really line up with the things I said I believed. And so I remember vividly one night where one of my best friends walked me out on our back porch of our house and just said, hey, listen, you can't do this anymore. You can't live like this anymore. And I'm going to be honest with you, it was one of the most difficult, awkward, horrible experiences of my life. Have you ever had, like, been out in the cold and your fingers get really, really cold and you come inside to something hot and it feels so good, but it also hurts so bad? That's what it feels like. It's the worst, best feeling possible. Because all of a sudden, someone knew everything in my life. But at the same time, someone finally knew everything in my life. There was something freeing to that. And I remember I shed a lot of tears on that back porch realizing that things had to change. I needed to change my life, really, truly change my life. But I'll tell you right now, I'll point back to that night in my life where I would not be the person I am today. I couldn't be the husband or the father or the dad or the friend that I am today without that, that moment in my life. I'm thankful that I made space for someone to know me in that kind of way, to be able to speak into my life and to push me forward. Because to be honest, I had settled for a life that wasn't the best. I had settled for less than what God had for me. I've heard it said this way, that a true friend, a real friend, stabs you in the front. A good friend is someone that you're willing to trust to look into your life and speak into your life. Because they care about you or they care about your marriage more than they care about your privacy or more than they care about your affection. Because they know there's better for you. And they're willing to speak that into your life. They care about you. We push one another forward. But secondly, we also, we lift one another up. We lift one another up. Really simply speaking, all this means is that when, when the bottom falls out, when things fall apart, when you get the diagnosis, when you get that phone call, when, when you feel like you have no hope, all of a sudden you look around and you find that there are people are, that are around you that are lifting you up and keeping you going and keeping your head high. One of my favorite things as a pastor of this church is when I get a phone call to go to the hospital to meet with a family after a surgery, before a surgery, whatever it might be, and when I get there, I come to find out I've been beaten by people in their small group. That's good. 
I've, I've been beaten there by other people who care about this family enough to come and be there in the midst of the difficulty and the struggle and what's going on. That's what it looks like to lift one another up. You know, I've seen, and working with student ministries, I've seen students who have struggled with something. Maybe there's a divorce in the family or there's some kind of addiction or something. And I've seen other students who care enough about that student that they're willing to come alongside of them and, and walk with them and encourage them along the way. Not as a gossip session, but instead as an opportunity to, to meet that person's need. I've seen families and individuals within our church who have had real needs. And I've seen those needs get met within minutes of it being mentioned. Because it's finally out in the open and someone can do something about it. And how powerful it is when people come and live in this kind of way. Because we're better together when we lift each other up. We look for every opportunity that we can to lift each other up. And when we do, we make the most of that opportunity. Third, Nick likes to say that we send each other out. We send each other out. The truth is we can accomplish more collectively than we can individually. God has a plan for this world. His plan is to put things back to right, even in the midst of what's going on around us. And what I know is the kingdom of God grows where his followers are willing to bleed. As we go into tough places and dark places, if we're willing to go there and to make a difference, the kingdom of God flourishes and amazing things happen because we're willing to send one another out to make a difference. Just a few weeks ago, my my wife and I had the opportunity to go to an organization called uh, Generations of Mineta. And it's a building facility not far from here in Mineta. And uh, there's 16 men who live there who have mental illness of some kind. They live together in this facility and they're taken care of there. And this summer, Next Step, one of our missions organizations built beautiful planter boxes. They're awesome with like a watering system and everything all there, but there's no plants and no vegetables in them. And so we had the opportunity, my wife and I, to take our six-year-old and our three-year-old and drive out to Mineta one day and spend an hour with shovels and with, with picks and tear up this dirt right alongside of these men who live there and plant these vegetables in, this, in the, these beds so they can grow and they can have fresh vegetables to enjoy. And it did my heart so good to watch my wife and watch my boys come to learn and to find that loving other people and taking care of them and making a difference in the world is the greatest thing you can do with your life. The best thing I can do as a dad is not to teach my kids how to make really good grades. The best thing I can do as a dad is not to teach my kids how to be a great football player, though that would be wonderful. The best thing I can do as a dad is not teach my kids how to be great citizens. The greatest thing that I can do as a dad is to teach my kids the importance of making a difference in the world. And the kind of power that they hold as followers of Jesus to be sent out into the world and to give people hope. To give people hope. What I've seen happen so beautifully through these small groups at our church is I've seen them come alongside each other and to push one another forward, to lift each other up, and in turn then to send one another out and encourage each other to not settle just for the American dream but to, but to push for the God dream and what God is trying to do within our community and within our world. You know, I believe we're better together because when we're together, we become the hands and the feet of Jesus. Become the hands and the feet of Jesus. I want to go back very quickly to John chapter 17, verse 21. The last thing that Jesus prays, he says, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. And in doing so, they would put their faith and their hope and their trust and believe that I was sent from you. You know, a shared life, it gives evidence to the reality of God. A shared life, living in community with God, It speaks to the rest of the world around us what it looks like to follow Jesus. 
When these kinds of things happen, whether it's hurricanes or disasters or tragedies, if you look closely, you can see this thread of people who are willing to come alongside and do something amazing, to come and serve people. You know what it's evidence to? A God who is not far off, but a God who suffers right along with us. And it takes place most beautifully within a small group of people who live this Trinitarian relationship, who live this out. Here's what I found most unfortunate in our world today. We too often look for every possible reason for us to be divided. For every possible thing that we could possibly disagree on so that we don't have to find unity. And the truth is, we are very different. I mean, I like Carolina. I don't like Clemson. You know, we are very different. We, we have different skin color. We have different paychecks. We live in different houses from different sides of town. We drive different cars. We are very different. But you know what we do have? We have one thing that unites us all, and it's Jesus Christ. It's the uniting piece to everything that could possibly divide us. This is why Jesus prays this, because he knew one of the greatest things that, that the evil one could do would be to divide us and take out the movement that he's trying to make happen within our world. And we will not do it. Because Jesus unites us. We find our unity through him. Now I look around this room, and I know there are many people that are already in a small group of some kind. That's amazing. Continue to just pour into that and grow from that. But if you're not, I just want to give you an opportunity in three different ways to get involved in a small group. And Nick would tell you this himself if he were here. And first, he would say, one, you can get involved in one of our small group launches that take place different semesters. And maybe you individually or your, you and your wife or some friends can do it together and go through a six-week class and be launched out ready to live this kind of small group life, this kind of Christian community. Or secondly, maybe you have a group of people that you already do life with. You're already tailgating, you're already hanging out, you're doing fun stuff. But what if you did it with more intention and more purpose? Your next team would love to give you resources to make that happen in the small group that you already exist within. Or maybe you're new to the church or new to the area, you don't really know anybody. You can just go to our church website and to the adult ministry page, fill out a quick survey. They'll take that and partner you up with other people of like similar life stages and interests and you can get launched into a small group in that kind of way as well. But either way, I hope this morning you would walk away knowing the value of what it means to come alongside of other people. That you might have someone that would look you in the eye and be able to say to you, hey, listen, me too. You're not alone. You're not alone. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy in our life. It's because of your grace and because of your mercy that we have this opportunity to live this really wonderful life, God. I pray that today, Jesus, that you would inspire us, God, to look around us, to find the people that are, that are investing in our life and that we can in turn invest in. I pray God would pay dividends in the way that we live our life. I pray, Jesus, most, God, I pray that you would receive glory and honor and be lifted up by the way that we love one another. God, in the midst of all of our differences, help us to see that you, Jesus, are the one who unites us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.